One of my favorite presidents in 1863 at the Gettysburg Address, Mr. Abraham Lincoln uttered these words about the battle which they were currently facing. He said that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Today's message that I want to bring to you is a new birth of freedom in the spirit. I would like for us to turn to the gospel of Luke chapter 2 as we examine a spiritual discussion about the most important person in your life. The most important person which I'm talking about is Holy Spirit. Yes, Holy Spirit is the most important person in your life because he's with you every single day of your life. And when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. We're talking about the embodiment of God's presence in your life personally. Now, one day we will be reunited with Christ Jesus, but until that, he's given us himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let me try that again. One day we'll be reunited with Christ, but until then, he's given us himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. This is the most important person in your life, and most preachers will talk about God the Father. They'll talk about God the Son, but see, Holy Spirit is the most neglected person of the Trinity, but that's your key to unlocking success in your life is understanding Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about Holy Spirit today, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 25, this is what the scripture says. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen Christ the Lord. So he came by the Spirit into the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took up his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. May God bless the reading of his word today. You see, when I read this passage, there were three things that jumped out to me immediately about the description of Simeon. Number one, that in three consecutive verses from 25 to 27, we have a mention of the Holy Spirit's work in his life. Three straight times in a row. Verse 25 says the Holy Spirit was on him. Verse 26 said what had been revealed by Holy Spirit. And verse 27 says he was guided by the Spirit into the temple. So we're going to talk about Simeon's interaction with the Holy Spirit. I would like to preface our discussion about Simeon with the description given of this man. It says that he was just and devout. Your translation may say he was righteous and devout. If you remember our talks last year in 2013 about Abraham on Wednesday nights, we've seen that Abraham was declared righteous by God. And Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith in God. 
The scripture says in Genesis that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So when the scripture says that Simeon was righteous and devout, the righteous part or the just part is saying that he believed in God. There is no other righteousness available to any man on this earth other than righteousness which comes through faith. Everyone's still with me today. The only kind of righteousness you can get, Abraham could get, Noah could get, Simeon could get, is righteousness that comes through faith. So when it says he was righteous, it's saying this was a man who believed God. The reason he was declared righteous is because of his belief. So we see the Bible description that Simeon was righteous, and we can understand that because of this, he believed God. It was a declaration of his faith and not about his actions. But secondly, after that, Scripture says not only was he just and righteous, he was also devout. So he was just, talking about his faith, and devout, talking about his actions. We know that anyone who is devout, it means their outward response or their outward actions match what they believe. If you are a Jew, it means that maybe you had a Jewish parents. But if you are a devout Jew, it means you follow the Old Testament. If you are a Christian, it means that maybe you've given yourself a label, yes, I believe in God. But if you're a devout Christian, it means you follow his word. And everyone with me? So he was just and devout, meaning his actions matched his faith. He was righteous and devout. So we have a twofold description about Simeon, that his faith in God, uh, about his life, and that led him to a devout lifestyle. Now, thirdly, I want you to notice something interesting. This is what it says in verse 25. It says, after he was just and devout, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Another translation says he was looking forward to Israel's consolation. Consolation means something positive that comes in the midst of something negative. Right now, during this period in biblical history, the uh, Israel and the Jews were under control by Roman law. They no longer could govern themselves. Now they were governed by uh, ultimately Caesar, but also these lesser provinces who had rule over them. Their land, which belonged to God, was taken by the Jews. So they were in this situation without government, without uh, personal freedom, and without Messiah. In the midst of this situation, Simeon was looking forward to consolation. I believe the description we're getting is that he was different from others because he was looking forward to redemption. If that scripture's description of him, then maybe others had given up hope about Israel's redemption. I mean, indeed, it had been 400 years since any of God's prophets had spoken an oracle that was written down in scripture between Malachi, the last book of the New Testament, and the first book of the, I'm sorry, Old Testament and the New Testament. There's 400 year period of silence. So here we have Israel was in the midst of a 400-year period of darkness and silence and oppression. This was one of Israel's darkest times. In the midst of the darkest time, there was a just and a righteous man, devout, named Simeon, who was looking forward to consolation. Do you see what he was doing? In the middle of darkness, he was looking forward to what God would do. I think what we're talking about now is Simeon's description about his attitude. You see, it told us about his faith. 
He was just, it told us about his actions, he was devout. Now it's telling us about his attitude. He was looking forward to Israel's consolation. You see, the fact remains that in the middle of Roman oppression, when it looked like all hope was lost, when it looked like the promise to Abraham about a land to dwell in forever would not be coming true, he was looking forward, had not giving up hope. What described this man was not the bleakness of his situation, but the brightness of his hope. Man, that'll preach today. What defined Simeon was not the darkness of oppression, but it was the brightness of the hope which he had. Simeon was so uh, pivotal, in fact, that Luke takes time out of his gospel to mention this little bitty figure. He wasn't a Pharisee, a Sadducee. He wasn't a Levite. He wasn't a priest. Just a regular old dude named Simeon. And he lived such a lifestyle that Luke had to mention him in his gospel. We need to take note about Simeon. You see... Another translation says he was looking forward, he had hope. Because he believed God, because he was a man of faith, he was devout. And because he was a man of faith, he knew from the Holy Scriptures that God could do whatever he wanted to do. You see, what was his hope based on? His hope in the midst of a 400-year period of darkness was based on this, my friends. You see this? This is the only revelation of hope that Simeon had available to him. In 400 years, there wasn't no Elijah calling down uh, fire from heaven. In 400 years since the Old Testament, there wasn't no manna that came down. There weren't any uh, rocks that were spurting forth water. There wasn't no deliverance from Israel. I'm sorry, from Egypt. The only thing he had was God's revelation of himself in Scripture. What gave Simeon the hope to look forward to consolation? Well, I believe a few things. I believe... Based on scripture, Simeon knew that God could raise a man that would build a boat for 120 years so that a righteous family would repopulate the earth. I believe that from the scripture, Simeon knew that God could split the sea right down the middle so that God's people could walk to the other side and then have waters come crashing down on them to kill their enemies. I believe from scripture, Simeon knew that God could raise up a fish that would swallow a disobedient prophet only to spit him out three days later. I think what Simeon knew is God can do anything. God could do anything he wanted to do and his hopefulness stemmed from his holiness. Man, y'all didn't catch that. You see, Simeon's attitude stemmed from his devout lifestyle. Because he spent time in the Word, because he spent time with God, because he was close with Holy Spirit, he had hope. If you're in a hopeless situation, you're in a hopeless attitude, you're in a hopeless condition, I can guarantee that you're not spending time with the maker of this universe. Because when you spend time with the maker of this universe, you start realizing his heart and his heart's never dim. His heart's never negative. His heart's never hopeless. God is the most positive being in the universe. And when you spend time with God, you're going to come out being positive. Jesus didn't say, oh, well, let's go. Their people are going to hate us and put us on a cross. No, Jesus was the happiest man who ever lived, and he came here to glorify God, and his joy was found in himself that God was glorifying through him and even his death and sacrifice. He could go to the cross and say, this is what I was destined for, this is what I was made for, and I'm going to do it without complaining. Man, and we complain over nitpicky things. Let me tell you what. His knowledge of God led him to never give up hope, And this is the first description we get about his spiritual life. It says in verse 25, the Holy Spirit 
was upon him. I want to give you three indications of his spirit and the new freedom in the spirit. The first is that Simeon was of the spirit. If you want to write that down. We see in the scripture that the spirit was on him. You could also say that the spirit was with him. At first indication, we might pass over this text and not give it considerable thought. But the context I want to give to you today is that from the Hebrew understanding, if the spirit was on you, then you would be living a life of God's favor. Let me say that again. From the Hebrew understanding, if the spirit was on you, you would be living a life of God's favor. When it says the spirit was on him, it means he was walking with God, walking in God, and under the favor of God. Is this the knowledge of your life that you have today? Is the spirit of God on you? You see, the opposite was also true. If the spirit departed from you, then you would not be living a life of God's favor. You would be living under a curse. We find this in 1 Samuel 16 about Saul, that the spirit departed from Saul, and he was plagued by a tormenting spirit. So in the Hebrew understanding, if the spirit left you, you'd be plagued by a curse. But if the spirit was on you, you'd be plagued by blessing. Man, isn't that good? What are you doing today? I'm plagued by blessing. I just can't get rid of it. I'm walking in blessing, I'm talking in blessing, I'm waking up in blessing, blessings all around me. That's what it means when the Spirit of God is on you. That everywhere you are, there's blessing. See, it was very, very good news for the Spirit to be on you because you were living in God's favor. We also see this in Psalm 51, where David cries out to God and says, Let not your Spirit depart from me. Because this is what David knew. The moment the Spirit departed from David... God's favor would be removed. And that was his utter cry. God, let not your spirit depart from me. He didn't pray for riches. He didn't pray for abundance. He said, God, continue your spirit upon me because that is the key to blessedness in this life. What's your New Year's resolution? I hope that it's connected to Holy Spirit. So the condition that we have here based on the Old Testament context is that when the Holy Spirit is on you, you're living under God's favor. And let me tell you something, God's favor does not mean lack of trial. God's favor does not mean a lack of tribulation. It does not mean that you're going to have a lack of troubling circumstances. What it does mean is that in the middle of troubling circumstances, the Lord is walking with you. Oh, somebody help me out today. I'm going to take a drink of water. In the midst of troubling circumstances, the Lord is walking with you. Why is this so important? Because it means you never have to do anything alone. It means that you are constantly with your best friend. And who is your best friend? I'm telling you, when I began today, it's the most important person in your life. It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's the one that talks for you 24-7. Holy Spirit is interceding for you even when you're not interceding for yourself. And when you start interceding in a life of prayer, you get connected with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit speaks to you all day long. Even though you're not listening, when you tune into Holy Spirit, you'll start hearing what he's saying in your life. Holy Spirit's your best friend because he walks with you every second of the day. The Lord's favor means that Even if Nebuchadnezzar throws you into the furnace, you can dance with the Spirit of God. The Lord's favor means that even if you get thrown into the lion's den, you can walk out the next morning. The Lord's favor means that even if you can be singing worship songs in a jail cell, the Lord sends an earthquake to unlock the jail cell. That's God's favor. 
means God's always present. But it also means the good things. When you start realizing God's favor in your life, it will change the latitude of your attitude about every blessing that you have. When you start realizing God's favor in your life, it'll change the latitude of your attitude so you start understanding how good God has actually been to you. That's my favorite thing. Matter of fact, a few days ago, Miss Donna came up to me. She handed me a Starbucks gift card. She says, here you go, Pastor. Just wanted to give this to you and bless you today. And I said, that's the Lord's favor on my life. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. What you start realizing is that everything you have is a result of God's favor. Everything you don't have is a result of God's favor. Because sometimes what God needs to do is take something from you so you'll start leaning on him. And that's the best thing that can happen to you. The best thing that can happen to you is God pushes you into himself. Not about your comfort, not about your pleasure, not about your, your peace. But when you find yourself in God, you'll know peace. I have some good news for you today, my friends. I've been talking about this first description of Simeon being of the Spirit. That if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is not on you, but rather in you. 